0: Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, It's been a while since I've uh, preached here at Bethel, and uh, we're going to be picking up where we left off in 1 John. Probably don't remember where we left off, but it was 1 John chapter 2. And uh, the last time we studied that, we almost finished chapter 2. We looked at at the Antichrist. um, We looked at The idea of this anointing that we have within us, that teaches us. And we kind of focused on the central message being that um, we need to let what we heard in the beginning, the gospel needs to abide in us, and we need to abide in him. We almost finished chapter 2, but there was one verse left over, and that was verse 29, the very end of chapter 2, and I left that verse behind uh, intentionally because I think it really belongs in chapter 3. And so we're going to start off at, with that verse, chapter 2, verse 29, and we'll go into chapter 3 through verse 10. And I uh, really encourage you as much as possible to keep your passage, your, your Bible turned open to 1 to John, John chapter 3 this morning, if you can. I'll go ahead and start reading this, 1 John 2, verse 29. This is from the ESV. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John touches on quite a, quite a number of different subjects in just those 11 verses. He talks about being born into God's family. He talks about the greatness of God's love. He talks about our source of hope. He talks about why Jesus came. He talks about how long the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the, the main theme here is, is highlighted by a word that occurs seven times in the English Standard Version. And it's the word practice or practices. Uh, John is, is putting a lot of emphasis on behavior in this passage. And he's, he's really trying to, to hammer home a, a concept that's fairly basic, which is that God's children behave like God, of course to a small degree, in comparison to God's righteousness, and, and Satan's children behave like Satan. Here's how we're going to study this. Uh, first we're going to look at um, this idea of, of being God's children and being born to God's family. And then we'll look at how, as, as God's children, how we ought to behave. And then finally, we will uh, take a step back and, and try to see how, how is this passage useful to us today. So, in verse 29, we, it says we can be God's children. If you know that he is righteous you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Um, John has been emphasizing God's righteousness right from the start of this letter. I mean, he barely got to, to verse 5, and he's already announcing, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And, and now he's saying, well, you, you know that God is righteous. Those who practice righteousness have been born of the one who is righteous. Uh, You will not meet a righteous person who is not born of God. Uh, Just like you can't have a tomato that did not come from a tomato plant. At least I don't think that's possible. When you see a tomato, you know it came from a tomato plant. It doesn't you know, the, it doesn't occur to you, you don't even wonder about, did this come from a loblolly pine? It, it, that possibility doesn't even cross your mind. Um, and, and to extend the analogy just a bit further, you don't expect a tomato plant to have pine cones on it. So righteous people are born of God, and it's, it's a one-to-one relationship here. People born of God do live righteous lives. Now, this is the first time John has used the expression, born of God. It's the first time he's used it in this letter. He's going to end up using it quite a bit more. And, um, and as he's introducing this, this terminology, he, he kind of goes into a, a bit of an aside here. In fact, uh, the one translation, at least, that I look, looked at, has verses 1 through 3 in, in parentheses, because he's kind of expanding on this idea of being born of God and just the amazing nature of this idea. How is it possible to be children of God? And his simple answer is, God's love made it possible. If if God's love was any less magnificent, this this would not be possible. Uh, What what did his love do? It sent Christ to deal with a sin problem. And... and, um, I'm glad that God's love is, is of such a quality that it's not just wishful thinking, um, you know, wish I could do something about this problem, but that it actually leads to action and, and Christ came on a mission. Verse 5 talks about that mission. He says, He appeared in order to take away sins. Chapter 3, verse 5. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. And then verse 8 mentions it again. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And then later on in chapter 4, he says again, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. So that's God's love revealed, uh, that we could become God's children through this mission that Christ performed on Earth, and and a more an important thing for us to remember about the new birth this morning is um, is that it's God's idea. Uh, he he came up with this, and he he is carrying it out. And it's he wants us to be his children. He wants us to be like him, and so that remembering that idea can be a pretty reassuring thing when you, when you look at your own life and realize how far you've got to go yet. This whole thing of being a child of God, it is his idea, and he is, he is very interested in carrying it out. Now, so that's, that's what I'll say about um, being born into God's family. Now let's, let's focus on this idea of how do God's children behave? Here's a number of things John has to say about how God's children behave. To start with, he says that that God's children practice righteousness because he is righteous. And we already looked at that in verse 29 of chapter 2. He reemphasizes this in verse 7 of chapter 3. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So God's children do imitate his behavior. Of course, we do a poor job of it, really, but we do try. The new birth must be followed by a new behavior. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4. He says, put on the new self. And then he pretty much spends the rest of the book of Ephesians talking about what that new behavior looks like. So God's children practice righteousness because they're his children. The second behavior that God's children put on is, is this one of hope. They hope in Him. Verses 2 and 3 say, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure." So in simple words, those those verses are saying, right now we're God's children. We don't know what we're going to look like when we get to heaven. Hopefully no warps or pimples. But we do know that when we see him face to face, we will be like him. Now, how are we going to be like him? Well, For one thing, our bodies are going to be transformed. We are going to be changed. Philippians 3.21 talks about our bodies being Transformed like his glorious body, but we will also be spiritually transformed. In fact, even now as we look look to Christ, we are being changed. Just looking at him. Second Corinthians three talks about this transformation. Um, he says that with and we all with unveiled face. This is Second Corinthians three verse four. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So we're being transformed now as, as we look, look to him. And, and when he comes, that transformation will be completed when we see him face to face. So the main thing to get out of these couple of verses here in, in chapter 3, these first two verses, um, sorry, verses 2 and 3, is that Jesus is going to appear someday And when he appears, we will be like him. His work in us will be completed. And that's our hope. That's our hope that we have in him. It's what drives us. Because we are born of God, we do hope in him. This is an outcome of being born of God. And as he is the focus of our hope, we purify ourselves. 1 Peter 1.3 says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And that hope... Has a purifying effect. It's uh, it's it's really important for us to keep in focus the idea that Christ is going to appear and and complete this work in us, because I do believe it, it affects how we live our lives. It it has a purifying effect on our behavior. Christians hope in in Him. That's the second behavior. The third behavior of God's children is that they stop practicing sin. Now we have some tough verses to look at here. Verses that can be a bit discouraging, depending on how you read them. Because he has several things to say about sinning that makes it sound like he is teaching perfectionism as though um, Christians stop sinning altogether. He says in verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps sinning. No one who has seen him or known him keeps on sinning. That's also in verse 6. Verse 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because, of the, because he has been born of God. Is John saying that Christians, real Christians, stop sinning altogether? I, I don't think so. Not if we look at other verses in 1 John, for one thing. Uh, back in chapter two, verse one, he says, "If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father." So seems like um, you know that advocate's there for a reason. It's 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 not like we we just needed the advocate there once, and and um, we need the advocate on an ongoing basis. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. With the Father. Then at the end of 1 John, in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. And I'm not sure uh, what that means, God will give him life, but I do know that what the first part of that means, brother committing a sin, means that our brothers probably aren't going to stop sinning altogether either, and we won't either. Uh, Jesus in his model prayer taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our debts. Hebrews 12 tells us to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles. Of course, we're supposed to lay it aside, but the reality is, it is easily entangling. James 3 talks about the fact that we all make many mistakes. So there's pretty broad evidence in the New Testament that Christians still sin now and then. And I'd say we've probably got some personal evidence as well. What kind of sinning is John talking about here in, in chapter 3 then? This is a pretty important question because um, the kind of sinning that he's talking about identifies somebody as not being a Christian. One pretty important clue here is, is the grammar that John is using here. It is grammar that expresses a continued action. When he talks about sinning. Uh, it's not as obvious in the King James Version. Uh, for example, in the King James Version it renders verse 6, whoever abideth in him sinneth not. And verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. And verse 9, whoever is born of God doth not commit sin. But other translations uh, do pick on this kind of continuing action and, and um, express it more clearly. The NIV would use expressions like, keep on sinning, or continues to sin. Um, The New American Standard would use an expression like, practices sin. And then, as I write here in the ESV, it talks about making a practice of sin, and, and practicing sin. So he is talking about an ongoing pattern here, which helps us out some, doesn't give us a, us a totally clear picture yet exactly what, he, what he's referring to. And, and, I, and I wish he would have spelled it out more, but, but um, he didn't. And, um, you know, this is inspired scripture, so I'm sure it is what it's supposed to be. I, I think based on, on what we know about uh, why this letter was written and the false teaching that John was, was confronting... I think that John is probably talking about um and the false teaching would have taught that a righteous living is not really that important, and some false teaching would have actually made um, would have said that um you know sinning can actually in a roundabout way kind of bring glory to God and be a good thing and 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 john is is tackling that kind of false teaching, and so I think he's talking about an ongoing Disregard for God's commandments. Um, I think it's a it's a very careless approach to to what God is requires of us from uh, God's commandments. So to me, it's it's a difference between sinning occasionally, as a Christian is bound to do, and living in sin, living in disregard for God's commandments. Now, I do want to be clear here and just kind of honor the language that, is, that we have here, that it doesn't use words like reckless or blatant or even living in sin. It doesn't use that language. It just says practices sin or practices sinning. So at face value, it's, it's a fairly, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing, but, he, but um, I don't want to say there are words there that aren't there. But I think he is talking about something fairly blatant. God's children stop practicing sin. They stop living in sin. There's a change. The fourth point, um, we're going through behavior of God's children. The fourth point is that God's children love each other. John emphasizes this a lot in this, this letter. He hits it again here in verse 10. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. God is love, and that fact is made very obvious by the fact that he sent his son to die for stinkers. It's impossible to be born of God without inheriting this attribute of love. Uh, You can't be born of God and not love your brother. You can't, or at least you, you can't maintain that attitude on an ongoing basis. Only those who are born of God, also, only those who are born of God can truly love, can truly have the kind of, of love that God has. And I do believe that non-Christians do love each other, can love each other in a genuine sort of way, but I think there's a, there is a quality of love that, that really only comes from God. In 1 John 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay? So God's children love each other. Major, major theme here is that behavior reveals parentage. Children of God behave like God. It's, you know, a small degree of resemblance, but there is a resemblance there. They practice righteousness, they stop sinning, they purify themselves, they love their brothers, they hope in God. Children of Satan behave like Satan. They uh, do not practice righteousness, they practice lawlessness, they're of the devil, and are possibly becoming more like Satan. How do we apply this passage? How do we make use of this? I think there are three things that we need to learn this morning from this passage. These aren't things we go out and do. These are things that we think and remember and hopefully affect our behavior too. But first of all, those who live in sin aren't Christians. That's something we have to pick out of this passage and remember. Those who live in sin are not Christians. Back in chapter 2, John emphasized the idea that um, false teachers were not of us, and they didn't belong. The fact that they left made it even more obvious. And I think in, in today's passages, he's kind of driving this point a little bit farther along, that these false teachers who downplayed the importance of righteous living and weren't living righteous lives were not children of God. They were children of the devil. And I think, here's how I imagine John's readers making use of what he's teaching them here, I imagine that that some of John's readers heard these words, and for them it was a light bulb moment, maybe. And and it, it occurred to them, you know, this 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 man who was in our circle, who was, who was not living a righteous life, was not a Christian, is not a Christian. And and they reached that conclusion. And it was not judgmental or wrong for them to make that kind of conclusion. John gave them this teaching um, as, a, as a tool to identify those who really are not Christians. And, um, and, and so it was important for them to recognize those who were living unrighteously were not Christians. And, and for us today, it's important for us to recognize this also as we relate to others. People who continue to live in rebellion to God's commandments are not Christians. Uh this isn't this isn't the license for us to go around and and recklessly decide who is and who is a Christian and who isn't. But um and there'll always be some people we are certain are Christians and some we honestly don't know because we don't know them that well. But if we do know someone who is living in sin, um we're not really doing them any favors by kind of acting like we don't know where they're at or we don't know where they're going. The reality is if they're if they're ongoing living in rebellion to God's commandments, they are not Christians, and they need they need to be born again. They need to stop sinning, but more importantly, first of all, they need to be born again because that affects how we relate to them. It affects um, it, ref- it affects how we pray for them. Those who live in sin aren't Christians. That's that's the first point. The second application of this is that sin is unnatural for the Christian. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ unto good works. We were regenerated for the purpose of doing good, not evil. Uh, It's unnatural and weird for Christians to sin. Um, Sin is lawlessness. It's rebellion. It's what Satan is all about. It's what Jesus is all against. And uh, the Son of God appears appeared to destroy the works of Satan, so, and, he, and he came to take away sins. That's what's taught in this this passage here in chapter three. So for us to sin is is going against His mission. It's a very unnatural and, and sad thing. It's like playing for the wrong team. Back in 1964, there was a famous. Um, Uh, there was a famous football player, famous kind of for the wrong reasons. His name was Jim Marshall. He was a defensive end who played for the Vikings. And on one day in October, they were playing the 49ers, and the defense was out in the field. The 49ers had the football, and somehow they managed to fumble it, and Jim Marshall picked up the football. I don't know exactly how the football was lost or how Jim Marshall ended up with it, but he took off and ran 66 yards into the end zone, and celebrated, and uh, unfortunately, it was the wrong end zone he had run 66 yards in the wrong direction and scored points for the wrong team and It has gone down in history as being one of the most embarrassing plays ever in professional football sin is is like making a play for the wrong team and it should be more than embarrassing it, it should really grieve us. Um, because our our goal should be to serve, you know, our goal is to serve our side as, as best as possible to serve Jesus as best as possible. And and yeah, it's, it's inevitable that we're going to make mistakes just because of who we are, but we should be sorry about it. We should see it as as being unnatural. It's not what we were designed to do. And and we should never get to the point where it's just kind of something we shrug off. Okay, the third point that I want to make this morning is that this holy resemblance that we have toward God because we are His children, that's what's natural and it should keep, grow- it should keep growing. That's what's natural. And we should be expecting it. God is on our side. He is, he is our hope. We are hoping in Him. As we look to Christ, we will be transformed. We should be expecting growth we should be expecting maturing. We're we're always going to see flaws and weaknesses. Maybe that's kind of part of the process as, as we mature, we see more weaknesses. But we should not decide that a, a spiritual plateau is is normal or that it's you know it's okay and, and acceptable. Think about it. If if those who hope in him purify themselves and we get to a point where that purification is kind of stalled, what does that say about our hope? If those who uh, look to him are are transformed from glory to glory, and at some point that transformation kind of stalls, what does that say about how we're looking to him? So this holy resemblance should be growing. We should be expecting that. And if if we don't see um, increased maturing in our lives, then then we have certainly need to get back to the basics and, and be concerned. The resemblance should keep growing. So let me just recap the, what, I, what I see as being the major points of this passage. God's amazing love has made it possible for us to be born of Him. Praise God for His love. God's children behave like Him. They resemble Him to a small degree. Satan's children don't. They behave like Satan. Those who continue to live in sin are not Christians. And sin is unnatural for Christians, and we should always see it that way. And finally, we should expect our resemblance to God to continue to grow as he works in us. God bless you as you follow him.